chapter 3. We're going to be verse 20 down through 35. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black Bible in the row or in the seat in front of you. Feel free to grab that and keep that as our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. It's a little weird, isn't it? Preaching so early in the service. <laughs> I had to get up and I had, to, I had to think to myself, I was like, don't say, don't start with announcements, don't just go into the sermon. Because I have habit, you know. But uh, Mark chapter 3, so... The reason we changed it up today is uh, after second service, I am leaving to uh, go to Orlando for a leadership conference. The weather there is mid-70s, so you guys pray for me. It's, uh, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. Um, I, I, know, I know. Feel sorry for me. Pray for me this week. As, uh, so I want to make sure that uh, my flight leaves at 1236. Do you think I'll make it? That's why I'm preaching right now. <laughs> All right, let's, let's read chapter 3, verse 20, down through the end of the chapter. It says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. Actually, let's start up in verse 20, I'm sorry. It says, then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they were out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter... But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study together. Uh, we pray, Father, that as we um, just continue to worship you this morning, God, that you would just continue to move in this place, Father. I pray that, man, if there's, there's things that, that are on our mind that, uh, that, that are consuming our thoughts, Father, that you would uh, just help us to, to see the beauty of the gospel, to see Jesus. Father, I pray if there's things here that we're wrestling with or things that we're struggling with, uh, whether it be uh, sin or whether it be emotional, uh, physical, God, I pray that today you would, um, man, we'd be set free, Father, and that we would... 
that we would see uh, again Jesus as we exalt him today. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is one of those passages that oftentimes raises concerns. It's one of those head-scratcher types of scriptures uh, for a lot of people, for a lot of Christians. I've been in ministry for about 17 or 18 years, a very short time. And in that short time of ministry, I could not tell you how many times Christians have come to me and said, you know what, have I, have I done this? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? Have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? And I think oftentimes when we read this passage of Scripture, that's the verse we go to, right? That, that verse where Jesus says, this is the unpardonable sin, and yet we miss the rest of the text because I believe this, this, this section of Scripture is actually very encouraging, very encouraging. Um, and so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to walk through this passage and uh, look at a few things. First, I want to look at two, two theories or two opinions of who Jesus is. There's, there's two opinions here. Uh, second, we're going to look at what Jesus said about himself, who he was. And finally, we're going to look at the third opinion. And ask, what does this mean for us? Right? So first, two opinions, and then what did Jesus say about himself, and then a third opinion. And let me go ahead and just put your minds at ease this morning and say that I think it's very highly unlikely that anyone here has ever committed the unforgivable sin. Okay? Um, and so let's, uh, don't, don't sit there and be like, well, have I ever done that before? Okay? We'll talk about it here throughout this sermon. But first, let's look at these two opinions. Uh, the first opinion that we see here actually comes from those who are closest to Jesus, his family. And their opinion is, is that Jesus has lost his mind. You see it there uh, in, in the text. They said that he, he, is, he has lost his mind. He is a madman. Why else, why else would Jesus be acting the way that he's acting? And, and listen, you've you got to stop and think about this for a second. You've got to imagine his family. They have spent 30 years with Jesus. That's when he began his ministry. And for those 30 years, he's been helping with the family business, right? He's been working in the carpenter shop. He's been building tables and chairs. Uh, he's been home for dinner. Uh, and, and, and for so long, life was normal for Jesus, normal, whatever that looks like, for Jesus and his family. But then all of a sudden, right, he began saying things like he has authority to forgive sins. We looked at that a few weeks ago. He, he said last week, uh, we saw that he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath, right? Basically what he's saying is, is that I am God, is what he's saying. Right? He's, he's touching lepers. He's doing crazy madman type of things. He is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so understandably, his family is very concerned for him. As a matter of fact, Mark uses an interesting word here. It says that they, they went to seize Jesus, it means that they're going there to use strength, to use force, to restrain and restrict Jesus. That, that's what they're trying to do. His family came that day with the sole intention to forcibly take Jesus uh, under control and haul him back to Nazareth. Like, hey, dude, you have lost your marbles. But, but why? why? Why would they do that? I mean, listen, why, why go through all the trouble? And again, you got to think, man, they're family here. They love Jesus. Jesus is the eldest brother, right? Jesus is the firstborn. They loved him, 
and they're just doing what they thought was best. Another reason could be that they were concerned for his health. Look at verse 20. Tells us that the crowd gathered and they couldn't even eat. Couldn't even eat. And so in a culture where meals were rituals and food was scarce, this was considered insane. From their point of view, no sane man would give up a business that met his needs, the carpentry business, set himself against the powers at B, which were the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, and then gather a ragtag group of disciples around him such as he had, right? This is, this is a life of a, a, a crazy person. This, this crazy living is going to kill him. Another, another possible reason why they are coming to forcibly seize Jesus is because they thought, man, listen, this guy, his religious zeal is, is simply too radical. Listen, Jesus, it's okay to be devout. It's okay to pray three times a day. It's okay to go to synagogue on, on Saturday, Sunday, whenever, but, but listen, the extremes at which you are, are, are going at, it's, just, it's, not, it's not balanced. It's, 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 it's like a madman. Right? Maybe this was the family's attempt, uh, an attempt at an intervention. Right? They're, they're going to do an intervention with Jesus. Jesus has, listen, Jesus has stirred up already a great deal of controversy. And they knew that these religious leaders were going to crack down on Jesus. And their thought was... Well, if they crack down on Jesus, it's kind of like the mob, right? If they can't get to Jesus, they're going to go after the next best thing, which is the family, right? And so they're thinking, man, they, they may come after us. They may, they may kick us out of the synagogue. They may not allow us to go to church. And so we've got to stop Jesus, right? To them, listen, to them, Jesus, they thought he's mistaken about his identity and who he is and what his mission is. As a matter of fact, in John's gospel, he tells us in chapter 7, verse 5, that even at the end of Jesus' ministry, before he dies on the cross, that his own brothers were not believing in him. Now, we know that after Jesus' resurrection that his family does believe, but, but, but that's what's going on here. This is the first opinion of an unbelieving world is that Christ is a madman. Now, the second opinion that we see in this text is less favorable than the first, and it comes from the religious leaders. It comes from the scribes. The scribes, you remember, they were the scholars of the Old Testament. They were the teachers. They were the experts in the law. And notice it says that the scribes came down from Jerusalem. That's actually a, a, a good clue there as to what's going on here uh, because it shows us that Jesus has attracted the attention from the main hub in Jerusalem, right? That these scribes are coming down from Jerusalem. And listen to me, Jerusalem is not going to be a good place for Jesus because Jerusalem is where Jesus is headed and Jerusalem is where Jesus is going to die on the cross for our sins. And so they come to Jesus and they are saying that Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul. Beelzebul. Now, you might ask, what is Beelzebul? And that would be a good question. And that word, Beelzebul, is actually a reference to, if you are familiar with your Old Testament, it's a reference to the um, Old Testament god um, of Baal, the Canaanite god Baal. As a matter of fact, uh, it means master of the house, and it refers to Satan. 
Uh, in 2 Kings, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down and look at it later. In 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 2, uh, Baal is deliberately called, instead of Beelzebub, they deliberately call him Beelzebub. Now, you may be more familiar with Beelzebub, that term, because it literally means Lord of the Flies, right? The reason why they, they, they inserted that in 1 Kings 1, 2 is it's more of a mocking term. They were mocking Beelzebub. Right, so that's that's what they were doing, but 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 here they're they're accusing Jesus of being possessed by Satan, by Beelzebul, and they were saying that by the prince of demons he cast out demons, and so you have two accusations here: he's possessed by Satan, and by Satan he cast out demons. And and listen, this is what is is crazy. This all this comes on the heels. Of Mark chapter 3, verse 11, where it says, And whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. You will notice that more times than any other gospel, that whenever uh, uh, demons or unclean spirits see Jesus, they recognize who he is, right? And he silences them right away. As a matter of fact, in Matthew's parallel account of this same passage, Jesus had literally just healed a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute. And so, so these scribes, these religious leaders, they've seen Jesus in action. They've seen it with their own eyes. They've seen him cast out demons. But they denied that it was from God, and therefore Christ had to be Satan, is what they're saying. And so here you have, right here at the beginning of this passage, these two opinions and it reminds me a lot of what we talked about a little over a month ago when I talked about the trilemma. Uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, uh, he talks about the trilemma, and that is this, that either Jesus is a, a liar, right? That's what the scribes are, are, are accusing Jesus of. They're saying, you know, Satan is the father of lies. You're a liar. You're casting out these, these demons by the power of Satan. That's what they're saying, or Jesus is a lunatic. That's what Jesus' family is saying. Like, he is, he's off his rocker. He's lost his marbles. He's a madman. He is crazy. And, and listen, there's a lot of people today in our society, in our culture, around the world, who hold these two opinions of Jesus. They, they say, sure, Jesus was a good, moral, ethical teacher. But, but Jesus was not... God, he was a madman. He was a lunatic. Those are the two opinions. But what does Jesus say about himself? Well, I love this. Jesus calls the scribes over and he points out just the absolute absurdity of what they're saying. I mean, think about what they're saying, right? Jesus kind of uses logic here. He uses parables. It says he uses parables. As a matter of fact, you're going to notice that Jesus begins to speak in parables from here on out, and Joe's going to uh, talk about that next week. But, but, but he uses logic here. He, says he's, he, say, he uses these metaphors. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom doesn't fight against itself. A house doesn't fight against itself. Basically, he said, look, there, there are two kingdoms here. You have uh, in, in conflict. You have the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And it doesn't make sense that by the power of Satan, I would cast out Satan because why would Satan be attacking himself? 
Right? I mean, it's just it's logic. It's, it's common sense. That, that would be ludicrous. And, and so Satan's not doing that here. But then verse 27, in my opinion, is the kicker. Okay, you guys can write that down in your Bibles if you want. Outside verse 27, say, Aaron says, this verse is the kicker. All right? Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. Now, <clears throat> highlight it for sure, though. Verse 27, this is the kicker. Jesus said, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Now, when you first read that, again, you may not get excited about that, but I'm telling you, you should get excited about that. All right? this, is, this is more exciting than you may realize because what Jesus is doing here is he's likening the world to a strong man's house. This world is like a strong man's house. And inside this strong man's house are all kinds of goods, goods, prisoners. And no one can plunder his goods unless he first binds up the strong man. Now, in this parable that Jesus tells, the strong man is Satan. He is the ruler of this, this world, this house, this world. We are the goods, right? We are the ones who are prisoners. We are held captive. We are in bondage to sin and death and evil forces. And so what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, I am stronger than this strong man. I am mightier than him. And Jesus says, I have come to bind the strong man. That's good news, isn't it? Now think about this for a second. Think about the sin. Think about the sin in the world. Right? If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, when all of this kind of went south, right? You have Adam and Eve in the garden, and everything's going well, and, and they're in paradise, and they got this great relationship with God. And then the serpent comes in, Satan comes in, and what, is, what does he do? He, he begins to spread lies. He begins to tell them things that aren't true. Hey, God really doesn't want you to know all these things. And he's, you know, all, all these things. And so they, they disobey God. And from that moment on, sin enters the world. And it wreaks havoc on everything. It wreaks havoc on us. It wreaks havoc, havoc on, on every, every, everything. Think, think about all of our sin. Think about how our rebellion against God brings death. Think about all the injustice in the world. Think about all of the disease and the poverty and the hunger. Think about, just, I mean, just stop and think about, not, not to get depressing here, but think about the world's brokenness. I mean, just in your own life, think about the brokenness that, that we experience daily and weekly. Think about the people in your life who are struggling with addiction. Think about the people in your life who are sick and, and dying. And think about, think about uh, I mean, I, listen, you volunteering at schools, you see brokenness. I see kids who don't have stable home lives. I mean, all, all these things you see as a result of as a result of sin. And let me ask you this question. If Jesus, if Jesus was just a good moral, ethical teacher, if that's all Jesus was, do you think that his teaching is going to overcome all of those things? You can go ahead and answer. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Listen, Jesus was absolutely a good moral teacher. But teaching was not his primary mission. He taught a lot of good things. 
He taught his disciples. He, he did the Sermon on the Mount. He taught a lot of good things. But listen to me. He is much more than that. What Jesus is saying is, is I am going to have to come and I am going to have to do something for you. I'm going to have to rescue you. I'm going to have to deliver you. Jesus is on a mission to set captives free. And he says, before I can, before I can do anything in you, before I can uh, do anything in you, change your heart, I've got to first come and do something for you. I've got to set you free. And so what he's doing is he's looking towards the cross where Satan, sin, and death are going to be defeated. It's going to be bound and defeated for good. And how does Jesus, let me ask you this question, how does Jesus bind and defeat Satan, sin, and death? This is so good. I love this. He does it by going to the cross and being bound himself. Jesus is going to bind Satan and defeat sin and death by going to the cross to be bound himself, to be, to be nailed to a cross, to be crucified, to be spit upon, to be whipped to have a crown of thorns placed on his head. And he's going to suffer, not for his sins, but for our sins. Right? He is bound in our place so that in Jesus we can be set free. Amen? I am set free. We just sang it. We can be set free from sin and bondage and evil forces. Listen, this is good news, church. If you, if you are in Jesus Christ today, if you have put your faith and trust in him, you are set free from those things. And, and listen, the very next word in verse 28, again, highlight that word. It says truly, truly. It is the same word for amen. Right? Whenever someone says amen, what they're saying is, is that, that they are in agreement with you. Right? They're saying so be it. So be it. May it be fulfilled. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying truly. So it is. So be it. All sins. All sins. All sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Listen to me. How encouraging. How comforting. And how amazing is God's grace that he offers complete forgiveness. Right, regardless of how you walked in here today, regardless of, of what you've done in your past, you think, man, there's no way that God could ever forgive me. Listen, we can sit here and we can walk through tons and tons of stories throughout the Bible of people who have done far worse things than you, and God has forgiven them. King David not only committed adultery, but had a man killed. And he was, he's, he's forgiven, right? I mean, listen. This is the good news of the gospel, that we can have complete forgiveness, complete redemption by Jesus in spite of your guilt, in spite of your shame. Listen, so many of us come in here and we carry that guilt and that shame around with us like it's just way, it weighs us down because we beat ourselves up. And what Jesus is saying here is you don't have to do that. I am coming to bind Satan, sin, and death. I am binding all those things. And the way he's going to do it is he's going to be bound in your place. 
so that through Jesus you can be set free, man, so that you can unload those things. You don't have to walk around in your guilt and shame anymore. John 8, 36 says, So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. That's good news, church. Amen? If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've never said, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life, man, you can do that today at the end of our service. We would love for you to come down and talk to us. We'd love to to baptize you today in this baptistry. We would love to make that happen. But then Jesus had to go and throw verse 29 in here. Right? This is the verse everybody focuses on. This is the verse that's like, we miss all that part, the, the good part, and we focus on verse 29. He says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. So, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, luckily for us, Mark gives us verse 30. Although it is very brief, it is very good. Verse 30, it says, Uh, they, the scribes, referring to the scribes, were saying, Jesus has an unclean spirit. So in the immediate context here of Mark chapter 3, these scribes were claiming, again, we we saw it earlier too, that that Jesus, the spirit-anointed one, we saw that in Mark chapter 1 where the spirit comes down on top of Jesus and God says, this is my son whom I love and am well pleased with. Spirit anointed Jesus, working by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're saying was instead working by Satan himself. R.C. Sproul's says blasphemy is to attribute the spirit empowered work of Jesus to the work of Satan. That's bottom line. That's what blasphemy the Holy Spirit is. I like what Ed Welch says he says that blasphemy against the spirit is a hardened consistent rejection of Christ it is attributing the glory of God the work of the holy spirit to the work of satan that's what blasphemy of the holy spirit is and listen the religious leaders their hearts were hard they were callous they were they were stubborn they had looked into the matter right that they knew what they were saying. They had just seen Jesus cast out a demon. They knew the scriptures. These, these guys knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew his miracles. So, so listen, this is, not, this is not somebody who is, has doubts, who's just struggling with doubt, who's like, man, I'm just not really sure, I'm wrestling with these things, right? These are people who, in their mind, their hearts are hard, they know, right? They they know, these scribes knew, okay? They're clearly calling what was good evil. They were consistent. I mean, listen, they were a pain in Jesus' side throughout his whole ministry, this is, not a, this is not a one-time mistake. This is not a, a lapse in judgment. This is not, again, this is not someone who is struggling with that one sin, right, that you're fighting against, that you're constantly fighting against that one sin. This is not what Jesus is talking about, where you are continually repenting before him on a daily basis. But this is, this is more of a your face is dead set against Christ, Right? They rejected him. They they denied his work comes from God. And the reason it's unforgivable is because, think about it, if the Holy Spirit was to convict him, 
they would just attribute it to Satan, right? And, and they would never respond anyways. That's, that's why it's the unforgivable sin. And so listen, it's, it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, not, it's not a particular act as much as it is a, a disposition of the will. Right? That, that, for instance, in, in a heated moment of, of anger, you, know, you, you punch a hole in the wall and you say something and you're like, oh my goodness, did I just blaspheme the Holy Spirit? No, you did not. You know what I'm saying? Or, 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 or you know, man, I, I, I messed up. I, I, I made a mistake here. I, I, I sinned. Can I, can I be forgiven? Absolutely you can. Jesus just said all sins can be forgiven. Right? So it's not, it's not so much of an act or an utterance as it is the disposition. Right? It's, it's when everything in you is, defiant, is in defiant opposition of Christ. That's what blasphemy the Holy Spirit is. The scribes were, listen, the scribes were not, not wondering. They had no interest in Christ. All right, they had made themselves in enemies of Christ. And with that, they themselves were on the side of Satan. That's what they were doing. Right? And so again, if you've ever wondered if you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you can leave here today encouraged, knowing that the very fact that you're even here all right, shows that you have not done that there's no opposition in your heart for Christ however I, I do want to say that I, I think there is a challenge for us in this passage it's, it's very encouraging would you not say it's very encouraging it's a very encouraging passage all of our sins can be forgiven Jesus has come he has set us free but I do think there is a challenge in this, in this passage because there is a third opinion look at the last few verses there right if Jesus is not a liar if Jesus is not a madman then Jesus, the only alternative is that Jesus must be Lord. Jesus is king. Notice, notice verses 32 to 33. It says, they come to Jesus and says, your mother and brothers are seeking you. And Jesus answered, who are my, mothers and my mother and brothers? And looking about at those around him, looking about at us, Jesus would be looking at us. He said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever, whoever does the will of God, Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, sister, and mother. Now, as we close out today, I just want to ask a few questions for us to think about as we, as we continue in our worship service and as you go about your day. If you're here this morning and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, here's a question. Are you abiding in Jesus or are you just visiting with Jesus? Are you abiding with Jesus or are you just a casual visitor? Is he Lord of your life or are you still reigning over your life? You know, there's, there's a popular saying that says that people, says everybody wants a Savior. Everybody wants Jesus to save them from their sins, but nobody wants a Lord. Listen, Jesus is either the Lord of your life or he's not. There's no in-between. You can't say, I want to follow Jesus and then not be willing to walk the way Jesus walked, right? To, to be able to deny yourself and, 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 and live, live for him. That, that's, so, so are you abiding in Jesus or are you casually visiting Jesus? Are, you, are we resembling the one who died for us? 
That's a question. Are we, are we saying no to self and sin and yes to Jesus? Listen, Jesus came to rescue us. He came to set us free so that he could do something in us. He didn't come to rescue us and set us free so that we could just kind of do our own thing, did he? He wants us to live for him. That's what it means to, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus. He wants to change you from the inside out. We want to grow and look more like Jesus. And listen to me, good news for you this morning is, is that, man, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm really not living for Jesus. I'm not really, I'm not really abiding with Jesus. The good news for you is, is that you're in a, 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 the right place because we can help you with that. Chester Christian Church. We want to help you grow in your love and affection with Jesus. We want to encourage you to be in the Word of God. Right? If you want to know what the, the, the will of God is not some secret thing here. The, 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 when it talks about being, when Jesus says the, the will of God, he's talking about the revealed, the revealed will of God right here in his Word. Everything God said is right here in his Word. So, man, we just want to encourage you to be in the Word of God. Know what it says. Read it. Study it. And there's no better, no better way to study it and read it than to, to read it with other people in groups, small groups, community groups. We have plenty of those that meet throughout the week. We'd love to get you connected into a community group to help you grow in your faith and in your love and affection for Jesus and to be in a discipling relationship, man. If, you, if you're serious about wanting to, to abide in Jesus, this is, this is what that looks like. You're, you're in that discipling relationship. You're, you're studying the Word together. You're, you're holding each other accountable. You're, you're fighting sin together. That's, that's what you're doing. You're making disciples. You're using your gift that God has given you to make much of Jesus. That's what our purpose here at Chester Christian Church is, is all about. It's to make much of Jesus. Amen. So we want to help you with that. And so at the end of the service today, if you want more information, you can fill out that Connect card and drop it in the offering plate, or you can come chat with us at the end of the service. We'd love to chat with you. But let's, let's pray, and we're going to continue in our worship. Father God, we thank you for um, this passage. Even though it's, it's sometimes very challenging or confusing, God, we thank you for um, just how encouraging it is. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, we pray that as we continue to worship now, God, that you would stir in our hearts, convict us, Father, when we need to be convicted. Help us to see the beauty of the gospel, God. Help us to lay down our guilt and shame and whatever it is that is, that is holding us in bondage, God, and, and see that, that you have set us free from that, God. And we can walk out of here today with all of those things laid at the foot of the cross. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.